Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, we welcome you into Howard David Live with the award-winning Bob Costas, uh, who called the game last night on TBS with Jeff Francoeur. See, the only thing I remember about Jeff Francoeur is that he played for my Braves. That's it. Well, he played for, I think, eight or nine teams. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and counting returns to one team or another in, in a 12-year career. So you got a pretty good shot if you're a baseball fan that Jeff Francoeur, one moment or another, played for your team. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty pretty good guess. Uh, obviously, it was a big series. The beginning that they play again tonight at City Field in Queens. Uh, if I said that Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Astros, anybody else in the postseason, deep into the postseason, would be a bit of an upset. Would you agree? Yeah, a bit of an upset, sure. But you need to look no further than last year when the Braves didn't even get over five hundred until some point in August. And then they go on and win it all. Now, there's a further advantage for the best teams now uh, because the third best division winner and the three wild cards have to play not just the one knockout uh, that the two wild cards used to play, but a best two out of three. While the two best division winners wait not so long to get rusty, but long enough to get their pitching in order, whereas whoever comes out of uh, those two best two out of three knockouts uh, in each league, those teams have expended some of their pitching uh, and have to go back on the road yet again. Uh, well, Houston and uh, the Yankees and um, whoever comes out of the East in the American League, uh, in the National League, rather the Mets or Braves, and obviously the Dodgers sit and wait. So you have a further advantage there. But can anything happen? Obviously it can. Yeah. Uh, I, when I look at the current state of baseball, look, when I grew up in Brooklyn, Bob, and there was not a bigger Dodger fan than me. Um, until I ran into, I, I went into the Laker locker room once to do an interview, and they told me that I could interview Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I sit down with Kareem, and we got to exchanging notes, and obviously he's from Brooklyn. I didn't realize how big a Dodger fan he was until he and I started, forget about doing an interview about basketball. We started to play, can you top this? I'll stump you, can you stump me? Bob, we went on for half an hour stumping each other with Dodger questions, and we neither one of us got anything wrong. Yeah, he's a true Dodger fan. Hmm? And I, he was born, um, going off the top of my head here, I think his birthday was the day after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> you can, we can easily go to Wikipedia these days, but I think Kareem's birthday is April 16, 1947, and Jackie's first game at Evans Field was the day before. Well, I mentioned that I grew up in Brooklyn and I was a huge Dodger fan. Jackie Robinson was my hero. I wore number 42 in my baseball uniform, basketball uniform, football uniform, any uniform I put on had, had Jackie Robinson's number 42. Now, we fast forward. 
I'm going to school at night and working during the day in Manhattan. Walking down 43rd Street and Lexington Avenue across from Penn, from Grand Central Station. And there's a company called Chock Full of Nuts across the street. Yeah. Well, well, we both know that Jackie Robinson, after he retired, worked for Chock Full of Nuts. So I'm standing on this corner waiting for the light. I turn and look, and here's this black man coming down the street with a full head of gray hair. I said, oh, my God, that's Jackie Robinson. He walked past me, and me like an idiot, I'm staring at him. Five, five seconds later, I woke up. I said, I got to meet this guy. I run down the street. I said, excuse me, Mr. Robinson. You were my hero when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. I just wanted to come over and, and, and shake hands. Bob, this is, not the, this is not a lie. He talked to me for 45 minutes on the street. Amazing. I was stunned that he gave me that kind of time. So he said, as we, I said, look, I'm going to let you go. You're a busy man. I, he said, is there something you want me to sign? And all I had in my pocket was money, so I took out a dollar bill. He autographed the dollar bill. It's in a glass-enclosed case in my office in my home, and it's my most cherished possession. And I would doubt that that's an overstatement. You yeah. think about that. Not only his significance, not just in baseball, but he's a very significant historical figure. Um, and since you grew up as a Dodger fan, you have an emotional connection to that. Intellectually, you can understand it, but you, beyond that, you have an emotional connection. And then, you know, they always say, never meet your heroes, you'll be disappointed. In this case, you not only weren't disappointed, you were thrilled by how warm and, and authentic he was. Why wouldn't that be your most cherished possession? Yeah, if, uh, look, I, I just told you that he was my hero. Who was yours when you were growing up? Well, if we're just talking about baseball, Mickey Mantle was my guy for obvious reasons when you think about it. Um, when the Dodgers and Giants left New York, their final seasons were 1957. My dad did take me to one game that season at the Polo Grounds and one game at Ebbets Field. I don't know if he was prescient enough to know that they were going to leave for the West Coast or if it was just a coincidence. So I can say that I went to one game at Ebbets and one game when the Giants were the home team at the Polo Grounds. I went to a few in 62 and 63 at the Polo Grounds where the Mets played uh, before Shea Stadium opened in 1964. So when I'm beginning to understand baseball, when I have any kind of clear recollection of games, is when the Yankees are the only team in New York. It's in that five-year window right. where the Dodgers and Giants are gone and the Mets don't exist. And the Yankees aren't just any team. They're the mighty Yankees. <laughs> With the exception of 1959, in that stretch, they're always in the World Series. And Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams is winding up his career. Mickey Mantle is unquestionably the best player in the American League. Not only statistically, but he's dynamic and charismatic, and it's not just the home runs, it's the tape measure home runs. So everything about it, it was just natural that almost every kid in the neighborhood who was a Yankee fan, their favorite Yankee was Mickey Mantle. And that's even acknowledging that Hall of Famers like Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford and others were on the team too. Well, you know, as, as growing up a Dodger fan, we would stand on the corner of, of Church Avenue and Argyle Road, where I lived in Brooklyn, outside the, the candy store, and we would argue with baseball. Who was better, Willie, Mickey, or the Duke? And look, I was, I was, Duke was my guy also, but in my heart, I knew that Madeline Mays were better overall players, but I still stood up for Duke Snyder. Having said that, if there's such a thing as a five-tool player, I'll say that Willie Mays was a six-tool player. He was the greatest ball player I ever saw. I think that most who saw him and have some frame of reference both before and after would reach the same conclusion. And when you say 
a six-tool player. Uh, we know about hit for average, hit for power, so that's two, run the bases, uh, throw, and what's the fifth one? Field. Field. <laughs> field, of course. Field in general, yeah, right? right. Um, and the sixth is almost like a sixth sense. Right. No, Nobody, nobody had a feel for the game any greater uh, than Willie Mays. Seldom have ever made a base-running mistake. Uh, I've told this story on the air once or twice. Tim McCarver told me, you know, how teams have a meeting before the first game of a series to go over the hitters and, and other situations. So McCarver's playing for the Cardinals, and Johnny Keene is their manager. And Johnny Keene reminds the team, unless it's the bottom of the ninth or extra innings and it's the winning run, Never throw to the plate when Mays is trying to score because he will make it close enough to draw the throw. He'll always be safe, and the guy who got the base hit will pick up an extra base <laughs> behind him. That speaks to that sixth tool that you're talking about. Yeah. Now, his contemporary, Hank Aaron, in some respects, accomplished more than Willie, although you can make the case that had Willie not lost virtually two seasons uh, early in his career to military service, but he might have gotten to 700 home runs uh, quicker than Henry Aaron did. And you can make a case, if you're just talking about hitting, that Aaron was as good and maybe in some respects better than Mays. And Henry was a terrific all-round player. He was a great base runner. He was an excellent right fielder, all those things. Yep. But if you're just talking about all-round excellence, you probably have to give, you might, you might give them each a 10 on a 10 scale in each area, but then Willie gets an 11 in some sense that you can't quite define in some of those areas and I think most people who have complete respect for both of them say that if we're talking about hitting alone maybe the the edge is to Aaron if we're talking about all around the edge even if it's a small one is to Willie award-winning broadcaster Bob Costas uh, I would say this when the Dodgers left Brooklyn I vowed that I would never root for the Dodgers again I hope they would lose 154 games well, and then 162 games a year but I started searching for another team. Well, I became interested in Hank Aaron, who played then for the Milwaukee Braves. I became a Braves fan when a guy in our neighborhood signed with the Braves, a guy you would know by the name of Joe Torre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we started, I played in the same organization with Joe, only he's five years older. So I'm a kid. I'm 13 years old. Joe signs with the Braves. Uh, a guy named Honey Russell from Seton Hall was the scout. He signed him. And I went over to his manager one day, a guy named Jimmy McElroy, and I said, could I pitch batting practice to your team? He said, why do you want to do that? I said, well, I want to play, face the great competition. And obviously the guys I face are good, but five-year-older guys, you know, would dominate me. But I want to pitch to him anyway. He says, I like your attitude. You come here tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. I go out there on the mound and start pitching batting practice. And predictably, they're whacking me all over the place. Torrey comes up. He hits a shot off me over the fence in left field, which was 380. Then there was a cobblestone driveway and then the police station. He hit the police station on a short hop. So I, I, I'm guessing it's 420, whatever it is. Years later, I'm emceeing a banquet in Trenton, New Jersey, and Joe Torrey was the manager of the Yankees. He was the guest speaker. I tell the story. Torrey gets up after I introduced him. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Torrey. He gets up and he goes, well, Howard's told that story about when we were both with the cadet organization, uh, and now I know why he wasn't a major league player. 
<laughs> I, I said, thanks, Joe. Really appreciate the compliment. No, the fact of the matter is that Joe played uh, in the same era and time as Joe Pepitone, who played for Nathan's Famous in Brooklyn. Uh, Matty, uh, it was Matty Galenti. I don't know if you remember him or not. No, I don't. He was a second baseman for Houston, I think. The fact is that the quality of baseball then, where we were in the parade grounds, was very high. So, I mean, Tory was the guy. And I never forgot that. But let me, let me go back, if I can, before I forget about Jackie Robinson. Most people don't realize that at the end of Jackie's career, he was traded by the Dodgers to the hated Giants. Yes. And rather than go there, he retired. Yeah, that's true. And think of how inappropriate it would have been uh, to see Jackie Robinson in a Giants uniform, be it in New York at the Polo Grounds, or in San Francisco, not at Candlestick Park, but they played at a place called Seal Stadium right. uh, when they first got out there. That would just be wrong on so many levels. And something that casual fans don't realize, especially those that are just looking back on it through uh, what they've read or seen in film clips that didn't experience it firsthand, Jackie Robinson was 27, 28 years old when he broke into the major leagues. Mm -hmm. So he had a 10-year career, but by that time he's 38 years old. And he put on a little bit of weight, and he's slowing down. He did, in one of his last significant moments in baseball, get the winning hit in Game 6 in 1956 uh, in the World Series, the game after Don Larson threw his perfect game. Uh, he got a base hit one Game 6 in 56, and then the Yankees won Game 7 uh, at Ebbets Field. But he was definitely slowing down. Uh, so would have been considering retirement anyway, uh, certainly would have to take into account, no matter what the team was, going across country to a new team. And then on top of it, it's the Giants. And I think Jackie had a good enough sense of himself to know this just rings wrong in every respect. Uh, you, you saw the um, Hall of Fame induction the other day. Matter of fact, I think you were there, were you not? I was, yeah. yeah. Um, seven go in. Uh, let me focus on Jim Cott, who played 25 years in the major leagues. I thought that was the most that anybody, until I looked it up. Uh, Nolan Ryan and Cap Anson from way back in the day played 27 years in the big leagues, and the great Tommy John played 26 years. Cott, in addition to Cott, uh, Ricky Henderson played 25 years. I mean, it's astounding when you, you think playing baseball for 25 years at that level, that's amazing. Yeah, it's completely amazing. Ricky Henderson was an amazing athlete. And he wanted to play baseball so much that even after an elite Hall of Fame career, when you look at his stats and the runs scored uh, and the additional power that he had that distinguished him from most speedsters, and of course all the stolen base records, uh, he's one of he's an inner circle Hall of Famer. But he loved to play so much. He was still playing independent league baseball deep into his 40s. Uh, as I understand it. And I saw Ricky uh, over this past weekend in Cooperstown. Looks still looks very trim and fit. So it's kind of amazing because he was a position player. Uh, in the case of Tommy John, obviously his arm was not 26 seasons long. He, he had a different arm by the end because right. of the surgery that he, that he pioneered. The most amazing in some respects is Nolan Ryan because Jim Cott was never an overpowering pitcher. And he became, became a guy who didn't rely on velocity and dominating hitters. Nolan Ryan was still throwing in the upper 90s after a quarter of a century. Mm. He's just a complete freak. Uh, Cott was always a guy who 
who got by on, as they say, pitching, not throwing, which doesn't mean that everyone with high velocity is just a thrower and not a pitcher. But Cotton never overpowered people. Um, and he loved the game so much, and he was always very, very fit. He was one of these off-season workout guys when that was not commonly done. Uh, and as you say, he stuck around for 25 years, won 283 games, had three 20 victory seasons, uh, pitched well over 100 complete games, which didn't distinguish him that much at that time. And now when you look back on it, in his career, he threw more complete games than you might see in the next five years combined in the major leagues because of how much the game has changed. And he always said, you know, I don't belong in the Hall of Fame. I belong in the Hall of the Very Good. <laughs> well, if you're very good for a very, very long time, and you have something that distinguishes you, in his case, 16 gold gloves, which was the record for pitchers until Greg Maddox won 18. You've got all that, plus you get a little bit of a boost from just being a great citizen of the game. So those 16 people on a veterans committee might have a different personal feeling about you than some 400 writers as a group might have about somebody who uh, they weren't that close to personally. That puts you over the top. He's the great Bob Costas. Before I let you go, uh, the guy that I was looking forward to most going into the Hall of Fame was Gil Hodges. Uh, I uh, had a chance when I was working in Miami to interview his wife, Joan, uh, who lives in Fort Lauderdale now, and I, I believe she's 96 years old. I felt so good for her and her family, but why did it take 50 years from the time of his death to put him in? You look at his numbers. He was the dominant first baseman of his, of his era, hit 378 home runs. I don't know why it took so long, but that, that lends me to, to something else that I want to get into. But let me talk about Hodges. He was, he was the strength behind that Dodger team, that 55 championship team with Snyder and and, uh, and and Reese and Campanella and Ferrillo and, and, and all the rest. But Gil Hodges was the strength of that team. He was a quiet leader, but man, alive. He, he, I don't think there's anybody who was a better defensive first baseman than Gil Hodges. Well, I never saw him play in the prime of his career. Uh, so I'll have to take your word for it and the word of others. The Golden Glove or the Gold Glove Award didn't exist until I think 1957. And I think he won the first two gold gloves for first baseman uh, at that point in his career. But let's go back to where this conversation started with Jackie Robinson. Robinson spoke so highly of Hodges, not just as a player, but as a person. And at Gill's funeral, Jackie said, uh, not in a eulogy, but I guess they interviewed him coming out of the church, um, and said that other than the loss of my son, and tragically, Jackie and Rachel lost a son right. uh, while the, the, the lad was still young. Uh, other than the loss of my son, this is the saddest I have ever felt. Because apparently Hodges, along with Carl Erskine and others, um, not enough just to be host not, not be hostile. They were outwardly supportive of Jackie Robinson in a way that spoke well of them and that Robinson never forgot. And then just as a baseball player, Hodges, I think had the most RBIs of any National Leaguer in the decade of the 50s. And his 370 home runs, that may not seem as impressive now because in subsequent generations, others have gone past that. But at the time he retired, 370 home runs was the third most by any right-handed hitter in the history of the game. And he's an important part of a team that was one of the best ever. 
And so when you think of the others, certainly Jackie Robinson's in, there's no question. Roy Campanella won three MVP awards. Right. Duke Snyder is in, no question. Pee Wee Reese went in long ago. Walter Alston, the manager of those teams, is in, or many of those teams, uh, in Brooklyn and then a long run in Los Angeles. So, you know, when it comes to Hodges, as your rhetorical question puts it, what took so long? But thank heavens he got in and his wife is still with us. And I guess she said she's living in Florida, but the family still has the house, as I understand it, in Brooklyn, mm. uh, where, where Gil and Joan lived while he was playing for the Dodgers. He, um, there's not enough I could say. Everybody in New York is hoping for a Yankees-Mets World Series. The Dodgers and the Yankees have not played in the World Series since 1981. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, you know, after the Dodgers went west, uh, their second year, they won the World Series in 1959 over the White Sox. Then they played the Yankees in 63. Colfax won the two games. They swept them four straight. And then they met again in 77, 78, and 81. Uh, But as you say, it's been more than 40 years since that happened. So I think most New Yorkers would prefer Mets Yankees to Dodgers Yankees at this point. Yeah, I maybe, would. maybe the television networks would prefer Dodgers Yankees because then you'd have the two biggest markets, the oh. two teams from from the biggest market. No question about it. His Bob Costas, Bob and I, are the only two guys that remember Harry Weltman. <laughs> and at that point, we better stop because <laughs> even the old timers in the audience are going, "What?" <laughs> Uh, Good guy, though. Hey, Bob, appreciate your time. Thanks a million. You stay safe. All right, Howard. See you soon. Bye. He's Bob Costas, award-winning broadcaster and general good guy. As a Dodger fan, I um, vividly remember the 1955 World Series because we'd never beaten the Yankees. They beat us in 49. They beat us in 52. They beat us in 53. Okay, 1955, this was going to be next year. This was going to be next year. The bums were going to make it. And the way it started out, it didn't look good. Yankees won the first two games of that series. But the Dodgers bounced back and won game seven behind a guy named Johnny Padres, who was a 21-year-old pitcher. He threw a 2-0 shutout. And the two runs that were driven in were driven in by Gil Hodges, right? 1956, the Dodgers win the first two games of the World Series. But the Yankees came back and won, including the perfect game, as Bob mentioned, in Game 5 by Don Larson. Oh, by the way, for those of you that have seen the video, and I'm sure you have, of Jackie Robinson sliding in 1955, sliding into home plate, stealing home, and Yogi Berra, uh, jumping up and down, screaming that he was out, he was out, he was out, he was out. I looked at that piece of tape a hundred times. Yogi Berra was wrong. Robinson's foot was under the tag on home plate. Yogi could scream and carry on all he wanted. First of all, I was a Dodger fan, so whatever Yogi said didn't matter anyway. I grew up hating the Yankees because they always beat us, but really hated the Giants. Because that was a bitter rivalry that even even goes is pertinent today. The Dodgers and the Giants hate each other. It's one of those Yankees, Red Sox, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, USC, UCLA, whatever you want. The Dodger Giant rivalry is forever. 
So, when I look at the current state, and I didn't mention to Bob, but I'll mention it now. When Gil Hodges, it took 50 years for him to go into the Hall of Fame. I start asking questions about the Hall of Fame. One man, one man in the history of the uh, Hall of Fame has made it in unanimously. That was Mariano Rivera, the great relief pitcher of the Yankees. You're telling me that Willie Mays shouldn't have been a unanimous Hall of Famer? Ted Williams shouldn't have been a unanimous Hall of Famer? Mickey Mantle shouldn't have been a unanimous Hall of Famer? Derek Jeter was one vote short of being a unanimous Hall of Famer. I would love to find out the, the, the guy that didn't vote for Derek Jeter and saying, what the hell were you looking at? Look, Halls of Fame is an honor. It's primarily based on stats. I get that. I don't have any problem with it either. But there are certain athletes that are in the Hall of Fame that uphold the honor of what it means to be a Hall of Famer. And by that, I mean the character that they bring to the table. Now, if you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, you're going to walk through the halls, and if you bring your son or daughter into the Hall of Fame in Canton, and you come upon a plaque that's got O.J. Simpson, what do you tell your son or daughter? Yeah, there's O.J. Simpson. He had over 2,000 rushing yards in a season. But he was also on trial for the murder of his wife. And only because of a great job by his lawyer, Johnny Cochran, did he get off. But then, since then, he has served time in jail. I have a belief that if you're in the Hall of Fame and you bring discredit to that honor, you should be removed from the Hall of Fame because you brought discredit to that honor. I firmly believe that, and nothing that anybody says is going to change my mind. If you bring dishonor to an honor, take the honor away. Sorry. Hey, you can go back a long ways. The great Ty Cobb was a noted racist. Yet he's still in the Hall of Fame. The great Babe Ruth, he had some issues. Womanizing, drinking, carrying on. Actually, he was a phenomenon. When you look at the body of Babe Ruth, he looked like anything but a ball player. And yet all he did was hit 714 home runs. Beaten by my man Hank Aaron. <laughs> look, there are certain athletes that grace our playing fields and gyms, courts, etc. You remember some of them. For a variety of reasons. And I'm watching the Yankees and, and Mets last night. And Aaron Judge starts in the first inning with a home run. It's 38th of the year. And then uh, Rizzo follows it the very next hitter to give the Yankees a 2-0 lead that was short-lived. Marte and Escobar then homered in the second inning. The Mets took a 4-2 lead and they never looked back. They wound up winning the game 6-3. They play again tonight. Max Scherzer's going for the Mets. Herman goes for the Yankees. Heavy favorite, Mets. Scherzer lost his last start. It wasn't like he was hit very hard. He gave up two runs. So you have to favor the Mets. In terms of the way the Mets and the Braves are going, and the Braves win last night, 
they're three games apart in the loss column. And that's the only column that matters. Do I think that the Braves are good enough to overtake the Mets? Yes, I do. Do I think they will? No, I don't. I think the Mets, particularly when Jacob deGrom comes back very shortly in the next couple of days, he ensures to give them the backbone of a great pitching staff. It's not that I think the, the uh, Yankees pitching staff is not great. It is. Garrett Cole is a great pitcher, no question. When Severino comes back, again, he's injured. Nestor, been a tremendous surprise. Montgomery got tattooed a little bit last night. I would like to see the Yankees and the Mets in the World Series. I think it'd be great for New York baseball, no question. But the bigger picture, from a network point of view, Yankees-Dodgers has got a lot more sizzle to it. It really does. East versus West. Rivalry forever. They haven't played against each other since 1981 in the World Series. And it's the, the, the meetings in the World Series have been dotted with sensational accomplishments. I mentioned Don Larson in 1956. Jackie Robinson steals home in 1955. Dodgers win their first world championship under the Brooklyn banner. Reggie Jackson in 1977 with three home runs in a game. I'm just saying that there's a lot of history between the Yankees and the Dodgers going forward. We're getting ready. Well, as a matter of fact, yesterday was the opening of training camp in the National Football League. I have become probably a bigger football fan than I was when I was younger because I was, as I mentioned, a huge baseball fan. I grew up eating, sleeping, and breathing baseball. Baseball was my game, but it's kind of it annoyed me a little bit in recent years. I'll go back to when they first introduced the DH. American League DH, National League, no. Same league, two different sets of rules. I didn't agree with that. But what was worse was when Bud Selig, then the commissioner, introduced the value of the All-Star game, an exhibition game. The winner of the league that wins the All-Star game gets home field advantage in the World Series. I went nuts when I heard that. Now, I'm broadcasting Milwaukee Bucks basketball. And one night before a game, there was a guy that was doing a talk show on WTMJ in Milwaukee, the, the, the station of the Bucks, and he asked me to come on and talk about the game. And somehow or another, we got off the track talking about baseball, and I brought up the all-star game objection that I had and its value. And who was listening while he was driving in his car in Milwaukee was Bud Selig, the commissioner of major leagues. He calls into the talk show, asked to come on and talk to me. I was asked about it. I said, yeah, bring him on. Uh, eliminate the small talk and the guy. He said, Mr. David. And I said, it's Howard. He says, okay, you call me, Bud. I said, okay, Mr. Selig. Jocularity done. He said, I object to your criticism of the value I've placed on the All-Star game. And I said, I'm sure you do. But I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. You cannot place a value on winning an All-Star game. It's an exhibition. The managers that manage the game are there to do one thing and one thing only. Make sure everybody that wants to get in the game gets in the game. It's not about winning. The players at most play three innings. So you're not playing to win. 
So why place a value of winning the All-Star game and giving that league home field advantage in your premier event? It makes no sense. Sorry, no sense. Finally, they did away with it. And finally, they've introduced the DH now into both leagues. Sanity has prevailed. Rob Manfred, commissioner, current commissioner of the major leagues, he's got to uphold the dignity of the game. There's a lot of interest in baseball, but I caution you. The last two years, the television ratings for the All-Star game have gone down. That cannot make Major League Baseball very happy. So does that mean the game's interest has waned a little bit? If it has, it's not that much. People are going to still be baseball fans. I mean, last night, as an example, at City Field in Queens, Yankees and Mets, there was 42,000 people there. You give them an interesting product, they will come. And it's probably going to be as big a crowd tonight because, first of all, the Mets won last night. Second of all, Max Scherzer is going. So the home side Mets are going to get great representation. Jackie Robinson Museum was dedicated last uh, yesterday in Lower Manhattan in New York. Never can I remember, and I thought that C.C. Uh, Sabathia made a very good comment. He said Jackie Robinson was not just the guy that broke the color barrier. It was an important social item in history. Here was a guy that went through more BS than anybody in the history of this country. He took abuse from fans. He was humiliated, sworn at, spit at, thrown at by opposing pitchers. In Major League Baseball, they didn't know how to react to a black player. Jackie Robinson wasn't the best player out of the Negro Leagues, but what he was was an educated man, went to UCLA, starred in basketball, baseball, football, and ran track. So he was an intelligent man who had a degree from UCLA. When he was signed by Branch Rickey, then the owner of the Dodgers, Branch Rickey signed him, one, because of his talent, two, because of his brain. Jackie Robinson disappointed nobody. It got to a point where his own team, after initially some bumps in the road, it got to a point where his own team embraced him. Pee Wee Reese from Kentucky embraced his teammate. Gil Hodges from Indiana embraced his teammate and go on down the line. And then what followed? Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb, the American League, Larry Doby. So I'm just thinking as I look through all of the things that were accomplished by Jackie Robinson. And I have a Dodger jersey hanging in my closet with number 42 on it. I cherish it. Here I am, a white man, and my hero was a black man. And people will look at me, I guarantee you, and say, what? You had all those players in the Dodgers. Why not, why not Duke Snyder? Why not Gil Hodges? Yeah, I loved them all. But Jackie was my hero because of the way he played the game.
He played with passion. Was he the greatest black player in the history of the game? No. I would pick Willie Mays before. I don't think there's any question about that. Probably Ken Griffey Jr. There were a lot of great players in Major League Baseball. All I'm saying to you is that Jackie Robinson made an impact on me. I mean, it got as silly as this may sound, here I am, a young kid, and I used to walk pigeon-toed because Jackie Robinson walked pigeon-toed. That's taking it to an extreme, I admit. I would only say this. Jackie Robinson was as important to baseball as any player in the history of the game. Before him, during his time, and since. Getting back to Gil Hodges. Quick story. Dodgers are playing the Milwaukee Braves at Ebbets Field. I'm at the game. A brawl breaks out. I don't forget what the reason was. But a brawl breaks out. And Eddie Matthews, a big man, 6'2", about 220 pounds, is beating up some Dodger player. And he's on top of him on the ground. Gil Hodges walked over, picked up Matthews by the back of his shirt, and with one hand, he lifted him off and threw him away. With one hand. Do you have any idea how strong he must have been? We used to call him meat hooks because he had enormous hands. I don't even think he needed the glove. But Gil Hodges, Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder, Carl Farillo, Junior Gilliam, Pee Wee Reese, Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb. The list goes on. Johnny Padres who won Game 7 of the 55 World Series. The Dodgers were my team. They were the neighborhood team. Most of the players, if not all, lived in the neighborhood. Not just where I grew up in Flatbush, but also in other parts. Hodges had a bowling alley called Gil Hodges Lanes. And he was there a lot. My friends and I got on the bus and got off at Nostrand Avenue where the Gil Hodges Lanes were and walked in and I said to the guy behind the Steve desk, Albert? I said to the guy behind the desk, um, Where's Gil Hodges? Mr. Hodges. Oh, he's sitting right over there. We walked over. Steve Albert. We walked over to Gil Hodges. Said, Mr. Hodges, I'm a big Dodger fan. Come over here to shake your hand. He said, thanks very much. He was very nice. So on and so on and so on. And that was it. We had a lovely afternoon. Watching Hodges get inducted into the Hall of Fame the other day was great. I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm not related to the man. I was happy for his wife, who's 96 years old, Joan Hodges, and their family. I'm just saying. Steve Albert? I'm just saying. Just saying um, that it's been great being a Dodger fan. I don't wish the Dodgers any harm, but I root for the Braves. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. We reminisced a little bit with the great Bob Costas. You stay safe. Thanks. She can't stop this every day.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.